it's not just what you say, it's how it's going to be delivered. And unless you understand that, I think that's a real problem. Because people are just a lot more vocal about it now. So if something does happen, people often say what comes first, the design or the copy? You know, it's probably made me about two and a half, three million dollars, um, that one course. You know, I've written about everything from drains to pipes to vibrators. On today's episode of The Engaging Marketeer, I am speaking with Kate Toon. Uh, Kate is a copywriter and also an SEO expert who has gone from working with very, very large corporate clients in the copywriting world, but decided rather than exchange her time for money, she wanted to generate the passive income, which is the dream for us all, and now teaches copywriting and SEO and other aspects of digital marketing in a range of online courses. I'll be talking to Kate about how she got started in the industry, uh, how she transitioned to teaching others and, and what methods she used for that, and also about what drives her, what motivates her, and, and why she does what she does. I should just quickly explain, I've got a giant... Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch in the back of uh, my room, and I thought maybe I should move him if we're going to have the video. Or shall I keep him? Um, you 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 can keep Benedict there, but okay. that that's that's not actually explaining. Uh, no, that's just, there is that's, no just, real... that's just stating a fact. Why, why is yeah. there a giant Benedict Cumberbatch there? Well, it's actually from I just ran my conference, and you also can't see his head. So hang on, let me just tip this up a little bit. That's better. Yeah. Um, I actually just ran my conference and uh, the theme for the after party was literary figures. And the okay. only freaking person I could find was Sherlock Holmes. It was all just Kim Kardashians, who I, I think she's done a book, but I, I don't suspect it'd be very good. So he's just left over from the conference. So I brought him home. You, you, you were from Sandbatch, you think? Yeah. Have, have you seen there's, there's a bit of graffiti uh, or sorry, a road sign on social media, a meme that's got the, the sign Congleton Sandbatch? With somebody's shared and put underneath. Isn't that the bloke that played Sherlock? Oh, I love that. I did not know that. I'm gonna I'm gonna nick that. I love that. It's a great room. It's a great room. But yeah, it's perfect okay. for you because you have a Sherlock and, and you're from Yeah, London. there we go. Yeah. So um you're 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 a woman in the digital marketing world. Well well done for noticing, Darren. I, I have been commended on my uh, observation <laughs> skills in, in, in the past. <laughs> How, I was going to say how, why, how, how why? Why, why am I a woman? Why, 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 why are you a woman? What's the point of that? What's the reasoning behind that? I don't know. Yes. How, how did you get into what is, let's face it, a still very male dominated industry? Um, so I worked in advertising for a while. And when I was in the advertising role, I got into a company really imaginatively called advertising.com. And that was in the kind of early years of SEO, very early, you know, when Google Analytics and all of that were just starting out. We did a bit of AdWordsy stuff. I don't think it was called AdWords then, and a bit of SEO-y stuff. And then I came to Australia, back to Australia, and it was, you know, it was uncharted territory. No one was really doing much of that then. Um, so I did a bit of work in agencies. Then I went freelance and I used the skills that I'd learned to rank myself I was a copywriter. So I managed to get myself to like number one for like 300 keywords. There was nothing you could put into Google relating to copywriting that I wasn't number one for. And people started to, people started to get annoyed, really. And people started to notice and say, how did you do that? And I'm like, oh, it's this thing. It's this thing called search engine optimization. And um, I just saw a bit of a niche. And to be honest, the woman-y thing was part of that niche because you're right. I would go into, you know, Darren was on my podcast and we discussed this. I would go into Google groups or whatever it was called then. What was it called? Google, not, I can't it's even, changed names. So I'm, Google I Plus. I of it because it was a cesspool. <laughs> <laughs> I would go into groups and sort of, I would be the only woman in the group, which was both an advantage and a disadvantage. Because if I asked a question, I would get a lot of attention, but some of it was good and some of it was bad. So it was a niche, you know, there was a, there's a lot of women that wanted to learn SEO. And, and I, you know, in reality, sometimes people, women find it easier to earn from other, learn from other women. So it was challenging and it has been challenging, especially in the early days, um, you know, going to conferences and there not being very many other women on stage or, or in the audience. But now I think it's hugely different. I mean, there's heaps of women in SEO, so it's completely different. But yeah, you know, back in the early days, back in 1852, it was just me. No, I'm joking. It was me and a few others, a few pioneers. 
it's interesting you brought up going to conferences because it's something I was going to ask, but I was tentative about asking because it's quite a sensitive thing to ask. So I'm getting quite deep quite early. Now. Oh, that's good. I love it. Uh, okay, good. Um, I, I've, I've been to quite a few conferences over, over the years. I had quite a spell out because when you're running your agency, you don't mm. have time to do these things. There was a really good one in Manchester that, that stopped a while ago and meant it was far for me to go to those. But I didn't think that there was a, a sexism or a predatory nature that existed in digital marketing anymore. And I discovered earlier this year that that's not the case. Maybe I was being naive, but that's not the case because there was an issue at a, a search conference in the UK that was, I was there. I didn't see it happen, but it was put all over Twitter about some guy that was being quite lecherous to, to a young woman at the conference. And I thought that's unusual. Is that still a thing? And then in last month's conference, it happened again to somebody else. Have you experienced this yourself or seen this, or is this something that you're, you're aware of? I think there's a couple of things I've experienced, you know, going to conferences and everybody on the stage being a middle-aged white man. And so not seeing myself represented. I've also been literally, I was asked to speak at an SEO conference in Sydney and you won't have to narrow it down too much to work out which one it was because there aren't very many. And, and he asked me to speak, the guy who runs it. And I, and I was a bit nervous, to be honest, because I knew that I would be the only woman. And uh, I said that. And he said, well, you know, I was only asking you because I wanted to have a woman on the stage, you know. And it was like, oh, brilliant, you know, not because I'm any good. So that's that. In terms of, you know, sex, sexism and, and kind of lechery and all of that, I think, you know, you wouldn't recognize it if it's because it's a part of your privilege as being a, you know, someone that doesn't experience that. It happens everywhere all the time. Do you know what I mean? So why would it not happen at a conference? If it happens walking down the street and when you're going into a supermarket, it's going to happen at a conference. And as you mentioned, you know, it's still... Even now, there's more men than than women in SEO and digital marketing. There just is. So it's it's you're you're more of a minority. You're a little bit more vulnerable. So yeah, of course I've experienced it. You know, and I think it, it goes on everywhere. But it, I think it goes on in every industry as well. I don't think it's peculiar to SEO or peculiar to digital marketing. Um, and I think it's good that it's being brought out a bit more and people are being a bit more cautious about how they behave. You know, there was some. I think um, there were some things going on at like, I think, isn't there a big SEO conference in Germany that's like a beer festival one? Oktoberfest, I think it's called. That one had had a bit of a bad rep for a while. Uh, and, you know, you look back at some of the photos, you can see why. Uh, but I think the industry's changing, I hope, uh, for the better. But I think we're still a little bit away from truly having a diverse and inclusive environment. But hopefully we'll get there. You see, I, I naively thought all those problems had gone because mm. years ago, um, and I won't mention names for, the, for this reason, years ago, I, I had to get in the way of a former employer of mine being quite lecherous towards one of my colleagues. And what made it worse was that she was in a relationship with somebody who also worked at the business. So he knew her boyfriend. Yeah, he still thought he should take this opportunity to be lecherous at her because everybody was drunk. And I had to physically stop that. Um, together with another lady we worked with, we had to escort her back to her room to make sure that she was safe. Mm. And I just assumed that everything was better now, that everything was okay. Because I'm a big nerd. I go to Transformers conventions. And there, when I first started going there, there were no women at all. It was all men, apart from the odd woman. Now it, it's more of an even split. And it seems to be quite appreciative of people and respectful of everybody's boundaries and that that seems okay i just assume because digital marketing was 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 techie it was nerds that we had that same respect but it appears not yeah maybe not i mean you know at the end of the day some techie nerds don't maybe come into contact with women as often and don't know how to behave and don't I mean I mean I guess they should I don't think there's any real excuse for it in this day and age do you know what I mean like there's enough resources and education and Netflix shows for no one to be naive about how their behavior affects other people so I think you know I would like to think as well Darren that things have got better um maybe they have maybe they haven't I think it's people are just a lot more vocal about it now so if something does happen women are hopefully less afraid of going this happened and it's not okay. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, you wouldn't have wanted to do that. You wouldn't have wanted to make a fuss because you're already marginalized. You're already being singled out as a woman. And you don't want to be the woman that complains. But I think now, hopefully, people are more willing to say, this is crap. Not just men, 
not just women, but men as well. Mm. And not just about sexism, but about, you know, homophobia and racism and all the other things that, you know, we were talking about on our pod as well. So hopefully things are getting better, but I think still think there's work to do, you know, and we need allies that will jump in and say, hey, dude, this is not this is not cool. You know, we still need people to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that that's a good point, because that, that's something that, you know, we, we as, as, as a people tend not to do, and that's call out others. So if we see it, it, it it's just human nature. Just oh yeah, oh it's just no, it's just being him. Oh, let's just laugh it off. But it, it, that's not okay either. That's yeah, not- yeah. And I think people are getting better at that. You mentioned on my pod about racist jokes and stuff like that, and actually saying, hey, you know, you know, I may not be of that race, but I don't like that, you know, and I don't want to hear that stuff. So stop it. So yeah, I think you know, allyship is massive and important and something that needs to be talked about. So thank you for asking me that question. Well, that got deep fast, didn't it? It did. Thought we were going to talk about crisps. Well, anyway, talk about crisps if you like. Um, so, <laughs> when you uh, started uh, your 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 SEO work for for copywriting, what sort of st- what sort of year was that? What sort of stuff were you doing that was working for you? Well, way back when, when I was still in the agency, you know, it was simple keyword research. It, it wasn't that. Things are much more sophisticated now. You know, you put the word dog food in the title tag. And I think the meta description still worked back then. I think we still had meta keywords tag back then. There were 10 blue links. It was easy. Built two links and you rank number one. So, you know, right back when it was pretty basic. As time went on, um, when I came up, when I went on my own as an SEO copywriter, again, it, it wasn't the rocket science stuff. It was writing blog posts that answered questions and really addressed audience concerns. It was thinking about where they were in the funnel, where they top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. And then even back then, I mean, you know, now we know about intent and, you know, conversion intent and informational intent. But even back then it was like, if it's a sales page, let's make it conversion focused. If it's a blog post, let's make it information post. You know what I mean? It's pretty basic. I don't think the basics have actually changed that much because most of the relatively smart people were already doing all these things. And we weren't therefore affected by any of these algorithm updates because we weren't doing the stupid things in the first place. We were always writing helpful content. We were never cutting prepositions out of our sentences to try and get exact match in organic content. So nothing particularly stunning. You know, it wasn't like I was doing sort of stuff that you would go, oh my God, that's so revolutionary. It was the basics. It's always been the basics that have worked for for me and my clients. And how much pleasure did you derive from doing that? Because I kind of got into SEO because I have this need for attention. <laughs> I, I want Never. to be. Yeah, I, I know it's impossible to imagine, isn't it? And I just loved the whole idea of people finding me on all websites that I've done online. What, what, what sort it's of thrilling, isn't it? Have, yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. I mean, when I said, you know, I've got to that point where there was no word that you could type into Google relating to copy in my area, in Sydney, you know, in Australia, not not talking the world by any means, you know, and it briefly ranked above Wikipedia for like copywriting, just the word copyright. You know, that's a sense of achievement because we know the steps that it takes to get there. And we know that that isn't easy. Obviously, over the years now, I've had hundreds of students who now outrank me for all the because I'm no longer a copywriter. Um, you know, they now outrank me for the term. So now I get pleasure out of seeing other people achieve those results let's be honest we know that a lot of keyword ranking is about ego it doesn't actually help your business in any way whatsoever ranking for that random keyword but it feels lovely so I got a lot of pleasure out of that but I the thing that I get the most pleasure out is I'm a writer at the end of the day I'm a geek I am a nerd so I love solving problems but the thing I like the most is writing an article and having hundreds of thousands of people read it. You know, I've read, I wrote an article about what not to do on Facebook. And to this day, it still gets thousands of unique visits a month. So thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have read my words. And as a writer, that's the thing. I've got blinding light shining in my eyes down. I'm just going to close this. I look angelical, but it doesn't look good for the video. I apologize, watchers. So yes, ego for the ranking and then ego again for the writing. It, it is all about the ego, isn't it? It, <laughs> it is. is all about. I'm a shallow, shallow woman, Darren. I know. Not ashamed to. We all are in this industry. We all are. We need <laughs> attention, whether it's from clients or whether it's from other SEOs or Google. Exactly. It's <laughs> all of Google. See me, won't somebody? 
know me. Yes. So you you mentioned copywriting, and, and I'm going I'm going to ask you a question. I think might be impossible to, to, to answer. What is the what are the primary differences for other people who are writers? What are the primary differences when it comes to writing something, say, for print, or writing something for the web? I think there is. I think it's a great question. It's not impossible to answer. I mean, oh, I'd say a lot. A lot of the writing that I do is is copywriting, not content writing. So it's writing with the with the idea that you're going to make someone take a step, achieve a goal, and generally that's selling something. But it could not be. It could be signing up to your email list. So it's conversion copywriting. You want to get them to convert to do something, right? So that's that's the difference with a lot of what I write. Now, obviously, with direct mail and print, that's often the goal as well, right? You know, fill out this envelope, send us a donation blah, blah, blah. I think the difference online is, uh, you know, readability is much more difficult. So you cannot write big, long, complex sentences because they're just hard to digest on a mobile phone as you're dashing down the street. You know, I think you are, although you're writing to an audience, the audience could be much broader than you than you think it might be. So you may have people who are reading your content who don't have English as a first language. They may not be your primary audience, but they're reading it. You know, you may have people with reading difficulties. So maybe your language has to be a bit more simple, not because people are thick, but because the way we read online is different. And then, a te- you know, how you read physically on a page or a mobile is different to how you read a book. You know, there is, there's a reason books are that wide because you can only read 16 to 20 words. And then if you try and get to the next line, your eye can't connect if it's too wide, which is why padding is such a thing on websites. We know this, right? Mm-hmm. If your eye can't connect with the right line, it's why books aren't that wide, right? And it's the same online. There are We can't read in the same way. Often we don't read from top to bottom. We will forage around and find a subheader that appeals to us or an image that appeals to us. And then we read the copy around that image because that's what we're interested in. So it's about writing in little chunks in shorter sentences, using signposts, giving white space. And then the other thing I think that's very different is the wiggle. I like to call it the wiggle. Wiggle. You really need to move the eye around the page from left to right, from right to left. You don't want to put all your images down the left. You want to put an image on the left, then the copy, then the copy on an image on the right, then an image on the left. You want to break it up with bullets and subheaders and quotes and white space and rich media. People expect a lot from digital, not just, you know, black copy on a white page. So there's way more moving parts, I guess, is what I would say. Sorry, that was a very long answer to a very short question. No, no, it, it, was a very, <laughs> it was a very open question that, that could have could have gone anywhere. Um, so that, 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 that wiggle, it's almost like a river flowing yes. tension through it. So when it comes to creating copy for online, then it, it's not just the copywriter. The design no. is just as important as well. Is that something that you get involved with yourself? Yeah, I mean, I when I was writing full time, I was I was what I called or what the industry called an information architect sounds very fancy so it's about not just (laughs) sounds a little bit wanky um it's about not just the words that you write but the order of the messaging so I was just having a conversation about this today the copy that I'd given someone to put on the page had been laid out quite haphazardly it was like choose your own adventure you could look here or here and I didn't quite know where to look the headlines hadn't been sized correctly. You know, what I'd meant to be a large H1 had been, it was a small H3 and the H2 was big. And it was like, what's, you know, so that order of the messaging is super important. You want to lead. It's not choose your own adventure here. Thank you very much. I'm trying to lead you through the page. I'm trying to tell a story. I need an opener and then I need a middle and I need a conclusion. And if you jump straight to the conclusion, it could still work. But yeah, you have to really think about the architecture on the page. So often as a copywriter, I will, I have a very particular copy deck that I sell that literally gives help to the designer. This is a H1. I want it to be like this. This I want to be, you know, in an accordion. You have to understand where this copy is going, right? You have to understand the medium that you're delivering it on. So often I'll do wireframes. I'll do site maps and then a copy deck, which was annotated, which is my suggestions. Now, of course, the designer can choose to ignore them, but often designers are like really help grateful for it because it's like, cool, you know, I don't have to, I can, I'm still doing the aesthetic. I'm picking the colors, the photographs, I'm choosing how this lays out, but I understand that this content is important and maybe needs to be highlighted. This is less important and can be in smaller font. And I think that's helpful. So yeah, 
it's not just what you say, it's how it's going to be delivered. And unless you understand that, I think that's a real problem. So a lot of copywriters don't want to do that bit. But like, if you know that this copy is going into a Divi website and it's got accordions and sliders and this and that, talk about the modules you want to use, make use of them, you know, um, and, and help the developer and the designer out. That's my idea. Do you know, I, I don't think I've ever spoken to a copywriter before that's actually got involved in that. It's literally just, here's your copy in a Word document, format it however you want, because my job's words. Yeah, and I'm done now. So I really like, if because I, I like to work closely with the designer and the developer, I think we should all talk right at the beginning. Mm. So they can say, well, I'm thinking I'm going to use a VADA, and I'm thinking I'm going to use this theme. And I'm like, cool, okay, I like that, but I don't like that bit. Can we get rid of that? Like, that, that that's not going to work for this brand. And then, you know, then you provide copy that they can just use, and it's not a fight. You know, often you end up in the design and you, a copywriter looks at it later and goes, what have they done? I like to be able to kind of come back and check over the copy and go, yeah, I love the way you did that. That's actually way better than I thought it was going to look. But this maybe could use a bit more space. You know, I love, I think it should be a collaboration. You know, people often say what comes first, the design or the copy. And it's like they both come first. <laughs> you know, they both come first. You have to work together. No, I, I love that because I've, I've, I've been designing websites since the 90s. And the late 90s, 98, 99, not, not early 90s. I'm not that old. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> but, thank you. <laughs> but all the years I've been designing websites up until we started doing this thing at Engage Web, the biggest problem has always been getting the copy out of the client. Yeah, so as really a web hard. designer, if you're designing a website and you're having the client write the copy, that's going to be your backlog. That's going to be is. the thing it's that a, stops the biggest problem. Yeah, that yeah. stops you getting paid. So when we do it now, we have a copywriting team in-house. We have our designers in-house. They have a joint call with the client, and the two things are done at the same time. Love it. I love it. Because you can be building the page with Lauren Ipsum as long as you understand what's coming. Yeah, I love that. And I think I built all my own websites. I've got eight websites. They're all WordPress. And I built them, and that and not, they weren't great. I've now got help, and they look a lot better from proper web developers. But the process of building my own site, it teaches you. It teaches you the challenges. Of, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but it's physically not going to work on this site. And also, it's not going to work when we make it into a mobile version. We're not, we can't do this thing that you're outlining. And I think unless you've kind of gone through that pain, you don't get it. And as you say, so many copywriters just deliver you a big lump of Times New Roman and you're lucky if you get a headline, you know, and then you're just like, yeah, make that look pretty. And it's like, what? I don't, what? So I think any help that you can give the developer and the designer is, is, off, is really welcomed. As long as you're not patronizing and you don't dictate exactly every single thing, then I think it can be a beautiful relationship. Mm. And uh, as copywriting, I think is so important in, in that process because whenever a client is asked to do their own copy via web designer, they, they can't do it or they don't want to do it, and they will do anything, anything other than sit there in front of a Word document and write the copy. So as, as a shout out to any web designers out there now who are designing websites and don't do their own copy, then reach out to copywriters. Like, yeah, like find they, a little corral of copywriters. Find, find a little corral of copywriters. Form your own little band because it will make it so much easier for you doing that, so much faster, and you'll get paid quicker. Because the exactly. websites will go live sooner. so that, Everyone that, thinks they can write. That's the problem. Just like everyone thinks they've got a good sense of humor and great dress sense. And you don't. You know, we all, same, you I do. Aimed at me. Clearly oh, you do, Darren. But uh, I've just insulted him. But, you know, we're all, we've all written at school. We've written essays. We've written bits and bobs for our job. And so we think we can do it. But it's, it, and the thing is, you're probably good. You know, with enough time, what do they say? All those monkeys could type a, a good paragraph. Um, so with enough time, anyone could do it. But it's, is that the best use of your time? If you're a business owner, you know, if you're an accountant, do you really want to be slaving away writing your copy when you could be making the, the dollar with your clients? You know, you, you need to work out when to outsource and when to admit defeat. And that's the biggest challenge is that everyone thinks they can write. And unfortunately, they can't. Whereas not everyone thinks they can design a website, right? That's a unique skill. Yeah. Um, not everyone thinks they can do SEO, but everyone thinks they can write. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of accountants. That's quite a big one there. We get it with IT companies. Whenever we see a website that is technical, we can tell that the content has been written by them for them, not for their clients. Exactly. So IT companies will be full of jargon. 
And yeah. I, I've got examples. Cloud of solutions. Things. Cloud yeah. solutions. It's always talking about cloud solutions, aren't they? <laughs> gives a shit. What's it going to do for the client? What's it going to do for them? Uh, so, yeah, if you're thinking of writing your own content for your own business, please don't. You might know your business inside out. You might know your industry inside out. But you need to know who that content is for. Clue, it's not for you. It's for your target audience. And you need to get into their minds. So when you're taking on a client for content, or when you were taking on clients for content, how would you do that process? Oh, I love this question. So most copywriters will have a brief which asks the client, you know, questions like, who's your target audience? And what's your end goal? And what are your objectives? 99% of clients don't know what to write on that because if they were knew all of that, they wouldn't need you in the first place. So often that brief comes back like partially fills, you know, like target audience, anybody with a pulse and a credit card, you know, women aged 19 to 92. And it's like, okay, thanks for narrowing it down. Yeah. So it's not that helpful. It's like, it, it doesn't, what I like to do is get these days we have Zoom back in my day, it didn't exist. But now we have Zoom. I like to just get the client on a Zoom call and just get them talking, get them excited. Well, you know, why did you start your business? You know, tell me about a brilliant customer you've had. Tell me about your worst customer. What's something that went really, really wrong? What's something that went brilliantly? And I just listen. And often I take the recording and then I play it back. And often you can pick up gems. You definitely get their idioms, their tone of voice, what matters to them. Because what you're really trying to do is write copy that sounds like them, but better. You know, it makes them sound more intelligent, more approachable, whatever they want to be. So it's a lot of listening um, and letting the client speak and asking leading questions and then coming back to them and saying, so I heard this. I heard that what you want to do is this. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. So a lot of listening. You have to be a people person to be a copywriter, which is hard for copywriters because a lot of copywriters are super introverted <laughs> and don't like talking to people. That's why they become copywriters. Mm -hmm. So I'll go through that process. Then what I do is I have a, I mentioned my copy deck, which I'm obsessed with. I do what I call a skeleton draft, which is where I put the bare bones in. So just every factual thing they've said, you know, I'm writing an about page you know, I write down their values and why they started and who works there. And I try and put all that in bullet point form. You know, what's going on this service page? Uh, what's going on the home page? Just bullet points, no full sentences so that I know I've got my facts straight. Once I've got that signed off, you know, they fill a bit in. I need some more info for this page. You know, I need this. Then I'll do my first draft. And once the first draft's done, it's like 80% of the work. And then the last 20% is just massaging it, you know, and, and being open to the fact that it's an iterative process. There's going to be sentences the client goes, oh, I just don't like that. And you're like, why? I just don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't sound like me. Fine. That's fab. Thanks for telling me. Now I know. And I try and develop little lexicons, like words they like to use, formatting they like to use. And usually we do skeleton, first draft, second draft, third draft. And the third draft is the one that I get proofread, polished, fabulous, and then hand it over to the developer and the designer so that's my little process that is exceptionally thorough and i, I, I imagine <laughs> i imagine that works quite effectively for you as well it does and as long as you explain to the client that it's meant to be a back and forth that you don't want me to deliver perfect copy first time because then you haven't had any input it's not yours and if you do that what you often find is a month later you look at the site and they've changed it so you have to give the client permission not to like your first draft. It's okay. If you don't like this, we can make it better. This is a process. I am writing copy for you, not for me, for you and your customers. Mm -hmm. So it's about that open and having lots of discussion time. You know, we talked on my podcast about communication, letting the client have a voice so that, because at the end of the day, I find, and I'm sure you find this too with your clients, often the clients don't remember the service or even the results, or even the words that you wrote, they remember the relationship and how you made them feel and whether they enjoyed talking to you. So that's what I focus on. Yeah, it's like that with uh, with training events. People don't necessarily remember the training, they don't remember what they learned, they don't remember the tips, but they remember how they felt when they were there. They remember how they felt. Um, they, what you mentioned about giving the client permission to not like the first draft, that that's brilliant. That's brilliant because I imagine there's so many copywriters that obviously you're creatives, like web designers, you're creatives. Creatives can be very easily offended when somebody says, oh, that's shit. Don't like that. 
But if you're giving the client permission, this is a first draft. This is this is what we can work with together. That takes that whole please don't offend me on the creative I've just given you. To the yeah, client. you're less of a diva. You know, you don't want to be a diva. You don't, want, and also you don't want to get emotionally invested. It's not your copy. You're not writing your novel here you're writing copy for someone's website you need a level of detachment you know and every time I've got carried away and taken the copy too far and gone oh this is brilliant this is the best thing I've ever written the client has hated it so now I just don't take it that far I take it as I said 70 80 percent of the way and say right let's chat what do you think of this and some of the clients are like oh I thought it would just arrive finished and I'm like you don't want that you, you think you want that, but you don't. You need to be involved in this so that you love it. And at the end, it feels like it's yours. So, yeah, it takes the diviness out of it. And, you know, sometimes the client comes back and says, change this, and you don't agree. And I will always push back once. I'll always say, look, the reason I wrote it like that was because of this, this, and this. And they say, well, I don't care. I don't like it. I'm like, okay, I'm not your mum. I'm not your mum. At the end of the day, you're paying for this. That's what you want. I'll write it how you want. I've told you why it's not a good idea, but if you choose to ignore my advice, that's that's totally cool. You know, it's your copy. So yeah, uh, you're not my, I'm not their mum is a line that I used to have on a post-it note, which held me back from saying rude things many a time. Yeah, and it, and it sets clients' expectations as well, as you say, because if you give a client something and they're expecting that to be the finished article and it's not exactly how they want it, you theoretically could get a client go, well, you don't understand what I do. You failed. You yes. failed, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. But because it's that back and forth thing, you've set their expectations. This is a work in progress. Let's work on this. So you, you yeah. reduce that risk. Um, when, when you're talking to a potential client, because this is something that I've heard a lot over the years about producing content for people. And it's that question that crops up every now and then. How can you possibly write about my industry? You don't know about my industry. Oh, the, it, that's the best thing. So most great copywriters are curious you don't want me to know anything about your industry because then I'm going to ask you all the stupid questions that your customers are going to ask. You sell blue widgets. I'm like, what's a widget? Can you explain what a widget is? So they have to explain it to you. Okay, that really helped me write your homepage explaining widgets. You know, like, why would I use a widget? Why would I use your widget rather than his widget? What is your widget smaller? How much does it weigh? Does it smell funny? Where do I plug it in? When do I take it out? How long will it last? That's what you want. All the dumb questions. Because otherwise, if you're an absolute expert, sometimes you skim over the obvious. Mm. Because you're like, everyone knows this. But the thing is, people don't know. Even about the most basic stuff. You know, I've written about everything from drains to pipes to vibrators you know everything you could imagine I've written about and I had a client who did this new drain it was a square drain now everyone has square drains but 10 years ago there was quite a thing every drain was round right and it was a real problem for tilers trying to cut the tiles around the drain square drains take away that problem but I didn't even think about that. I was like, why would you even make a square drain? And so explain that problem. And so then I broke that down into why these drains are brilliant, how much time it's going to save you. So I think being an idiot about a topic actually makes you write better copy because you ask all the dumb questions that everyone is asking on the website anyway. And you, you, I've, you become an expert. I'm an expert on so many stupid topics. Um, you know, for a brief period. And then I have to kind of download that, put it aside because my brain will only hold so much information. So, you know, the point is you're the expert, Mr. Client. You have the knowledge. Now you need me to turn it and translate it for normal people to understand. Now it's slightly different if you're writing, again, depends on your audience. If you're writing serious scientific journal articles for professors about a certain thing, you probably need a level of understanding. But, you know, most work isn't that is it it's like you're writing for a local plumber you're writing for people who sell piglet jumpers you know it's not rocket science it actually is about asking the right questions emotion understanding the audience and you know good copy gets an emotional response that's what we want we want some someone to feel something it's not just about thinking you know how is a blue widget right if you wrote this copy you'd probably tell me it was 2.6 caliber and integrated with the widget flange at a ratio of 7.6. That's what you tell me. As a blue widget user, I don't want to know the features. I want to know the benefit. I want to know the advantage. This blue widget is so great. You can install it faster, 
which means you can do more blue widget installation, which means you can get home to your family and watch telly. That's the really thing that we're selling. We're not selling the blue widget. We're selling how the blue widget changes your life. And I think that's why, you know, and expert copywriters can sometimes write better. Again, you can see I'm not very succinct. I'm sorry, Darren. That was a oh. waffly answer. Oh, <laughs> I got carried away. That's brilliant because every, everything you've said, of course, is uh, I get and, and we do the whole the whole benefits, obviously. But I've mm. never thought of explaining it to a client before that you don't want us to know anything about your industry. I've never thought of it like that. But of course, you're absolutely oh. right because their target clients potentially know nothing about it. And you need to explain to them what it is and why they need it. And if you're yeah. an expert in something, a real expert in something, you could quite easily skit over the important stuff to go straight into the, the nitty gritty, which other experts would go, oh, yes, they clearly know what they're talking about. Think I'm going to buy from them. But most of their clients wouldn't. That's, that's just an interesting way of thinking about it. I, I think I might change the way I answer that question in future now. Oh, based on I what like it. Know. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> mentioned drains. Obviously, you went to vibrators. We've we've written for sex toys as well, which was quite weird, and we've done we've done drains as well. I think I was going to ask you just, just off the cuff question: What's the most boring thing you've written about? I don't I don't have anything boring because okay, what, I what's the most boring subject you turned interesting. Oh, I, probably the the drains was a good one. I think I think you know I, I think account. I wrote uh, there's a site over here called Comsec, which is all shares and trading. Uh, which, although I know is amazingly useful and make me a millionaire, is really dull, you know, really, really dull writing about it. So I found that one the biggest struggle. But I think, again, a good copywriter is curious and finds anything fascinating because it's going down the rabbit hole. And equally, you know, it's often the jobs where the clients is unengaging that I find really hard, where the client is monosyllabic and not very easy, you know, the, the conversation doesn't flow they're the jobs I struggle with. I never find the topic boring, but sometimes I find the relationship hard. So, you know, you've got to have a bit of banter. You've got to enjoy talking to the client because hopefully you're talking to them a lot. So I think that would be my definition, which is probably not the answer you wanted. No, yeah, that sounds good. So there are no boring subjects, only boring people. That's it. Darren, beautifully put. <laughs> I try. I try. You should be a copywriter. I, I, well, I, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Um, <laughs> So you you obviously then went from copywriting to to teaching other people how to do it. What mm. what sparked that that switch? What made you do that? So I was I'd been a copywriter for a while and I was I was doing well, you know, but it was exchanging time for money. So I had two options really: either I could scale and do the agency model, and because I'd come from agency, so I used to work for like you know Ogilvy and places like that. I did not want to create the beast that I had escaped from. It did not appeal to me. I used to say I never want to be responsible for anybody's mortgage, you know, not even my own to be honest, but definitely not other people's. So that really hampered me. I didn't want employees, so therefore. I was limited to what I could do. I could either charge more and more, but I'd pretty much reached the ceiling. Like big, you know, telecoms companies were going, oh, that's a big quote. And I was like, okay, you know, I've reached the top of what I can charge. So I wanted to do the passive income. And for the podcast listeners, I'm doing air fingers. So I wanted to be able to make money while I sleep. You know, the whole Warren Buffett thing. If you don't make money while you sleep, you'll work until you're dead. Horribly paraphrased. So I started off selling that copy deck template that I keep banging on about. Everyone was asking for it. So I sold that for like $10. Probably now I've sold about 8,000 copies of that and it's no longer $10. So I started with one template. And every time I got that little PayPal ping, I was like, ka-ching. <laughs> so from there, I made more templates. Then I set up a membership. Then I set up a course. The SEO course was like no one's at that point. There was no one teaching. I think ClickMinded had a course, but Brian Dean didn't exist then. Neil Patel didn't exist then, or they did, but they weren't famous. So there were no SEO courses, none, and definitely none run by a woman. So I just saw a gap, and you know now that course is you know it's probably made me about two and a half three million dollars. Um, that one course, and so it just became a great way to make. But to be honest, to make more money, which was my God at the time, I had debts, I went into whatever. And now I just really enjoy it. I really enjoy teaching. I, I think I think I'm quite good at it. I have a way of explaining things. And I thought it's going to be great. I'm going to have no clients because clients are hard work, right? So now instead of having, you know, hundreds of clients, I have thousands of customers who can't log in 
who don't understand this or have forgotten their password or you know so it's it's a it's not better it's just different but it started off as an income thing I wanted to earn passive income and I wanted to increase my money so are you, are you handling all the uh, can't log in questions yourself or do you have a, a VA? So no, no, I had to I had to do the thing. I had to hire the people. So I started off with lots and lots of subcontractors. So I wasn't responsible and it was only limited hours. But now I have some employees because it just wasn't tenable to keep going the way I was. I was doing all that myself. And, it, you know, you're doing $20 an hour work when you should be doing $2,000 an hour work. And it just wasn't working. And also I was tired. I'm old, Darren. So yeah, now I have a team of about, I think about 15 different people all over the world doing different bits and bobs. Right. So in in terms of the courses themselves, and without obviously saying, right, this is how you can set up in competition to me, everybody. Mm. Um, If somebody wanted to do a course like that now, what sort of technical knowledge do they need? And what sort of platform would you, you suggest they go for? Oh, I mean, I'm totally cool for people set up in competition because I think the way that you teach is the differentiator. You know, everything I teach on my course, you can find online. You know, it's freely available, but it's having someone that guides you through it and that you feel comfy with and you can ask questions for. That's the difference. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, there's millions of SEO courses now. Obviously, none are as good as mine. Technically, you don't need much. You know, you these I don't even use. I use WordPress. I use WooCommerce memberships to gatekeep content and WooCommerce subscriptions to drip the payments. I don't use a, a learning management system or an LMS as it's called. I don't use Teachable or any of those platforms. I literally just have content and videos hosted on Vimeo and they are just pulled through into my site and I have notes and downloadables. I use a Facebook group for the community aspect of it. I use Zoom and StreamYard for the coaching calls. Um, you know, it, it's again, it's not really about the method. It's it's the how. How do you break this topic down? Gosh, when I started, my videos were like 80 minutes long, you know, and there were hundreds of them. And as the course has gone on and longer and longer, it's got smaller and smaller and the videos have got shorter and shorter. It's about small, achievable tasks, you know, teach one thing, how to write a title tag. Don't even talk about meta descriptions yet. Just title tags. Make a video that just teaches you that then another video for meta description so people can just work through and have a sense of achievement. Most courses don't get completed. We have about a 60 to 70% completion rate, but also all my courses have lifetime access. So you have it forever. And it, you, and I don't mean the version you got, you, all future updates. Because with SEO, it would be cruel to yes. give someone a course in 2017 because by 2018, it's obsolete. Yeah. So there's an acceptance that it's something you're going to come back to again and again. So the technology is not really the barrier. These days, if I were to do it again, I wouldn't build a course because the problem with a course is as soon as you make it, it's obsolete. And so the updates are hellish, hellish. You know, Google changes the name of a button and the whole people are like, I don't understand this video. And it's like, it's the same button. Literally, do I need to make the whole video again? Just because they change, they change the color. Why do I have to remake the video? So these days I'm much more of a membership model where, because I've got two memberships and they, instead I deliver content on a monthly basis, but there's an acceptance that if it's six months old, it's not going to be, it's not going to be still relevant, right? You, You stay in the membership for the new content, for the updated information. And I think actually that's a better way to teach now. Some people love structured learning. They love a course but it's hard for the course owner unless it's a topic like how to boil an egg, which never changes unless, you know, they invent a laser egg boiler. It's, you know, I want one unfortunately, of those. me too. SEO isn't remotely evergreen. It changes all the time. So it was a foolish topic to pick. It's served me well, but it's not a course that doesn't require a lot of updates, unfortunately. So these days I would say, don't do a course, do a kind of teaching community or membership coaching community. I think that would be a better way to teach it. And yet your your membership that you, you've evolved it into, is that still done via the WordPress WooCommerce or is that done by, yeah. by Facebook? Yeah, so I've got the course. That's like one pillar of my business. And then I've got a big community of copywriters, about 400 members there, and then a big community of digital marketing people. And there's about 400 people there. Um, and yeah, it's a Facebook group. It's WooCommerce, membership, subscriptions, videos, StreamYard. Uh, again, it's not about the content. It sounds weird. It's not so much about the content. It's about the community. 
And we were talking on my podcast about how sometimes you really want to ask a question, but you don't want to look a fool. So you're not going to go onto Twitter and ask it because people are just, you know, crowd on. So having a little safe space where you are an SEO expert to your clients, but you can be in a group with other SEO experts and say, hey, I've just tried this. Does it work? And it's friendly and no one's a git. That's priceless. That's what people pay for, right? (laughs) Rule one, don't be a git. Don't be a git. It's a big, it's a big rule for me, Darren. <laughs> and a, a lot of people have courses now because obviously during the pandemic, a lot of people transitioned and started doing courses. And it is, as you say, it's a good way rather than selling your time for money, you are generating passive income. But the, the sad reality is that a lot of people that have courses don't sell them. Yeah. They go to the effort, they create the course and nobody buys it. Yeah. And that's largely because with the course, they're not selling the benefit of the course. They're just selling, I'm going to teach this. How do you do that with yours? How do you promote the benefit and what people are actually going to be able to achieve? Yeah, I think it's partially that. I just, I also think that people don't really understand the degree and effort of marketing you need to do to sell a $27 course. You'd think it would be, people just buy it, right? It's a bargain. Yeah. But the amount of tooting horn tooting and drum banging you have to do is huge you know I've got three podcasts I've got social media challenges I've got newsletters coming out every week tips going up every single day you know I I am actually sick to death of talking about SEO if I'm perfectly honest but I I have to keep doing it because when you get sick to death of talking about it that's just about the time that other people have realized that's what you're a subject matter expert in so a lot of drum bagging but what I do is I do an iterative approach so you know I've got a checklist that gives people a sense of achievement okay I get this maybe I can do this SEO thing then I've got a little free course which teaches them some basics and they're like ah I get it now then I've got a 10-day course which is about a couple of hundred dollars which actually teaches actionable things and they see improvements and they're like right this actually works so that by the time they get to the big course they're already sold so you have to give people not just tell them the benefit and the advantage, but you have to actually give them the experience of, of achievement and, and the feeling that this is actually something they can do because we've all, it's the, it's the exercise bike analogy. We buy an exercise bike, we put it in the corner of our bedroom and we think we'll get fit. It's like, no, you actually have to ride on it, not just put your pajamas on it in the morning. And so you need to. I I know, it's so depressing. So I think it's about giving people little wins and it's like, you know, little volivons of success that lead them towards the main course. And what most people do is they start with the main course. And it's too much for most people. It's too much. Of course, what you just described there is a value ladder. It is. It's a It's a funnel. It's a sticky little funnel. Yes, it's a value. It's a stacked staircase of love. Which, which starts off with a lead magnet. Yes, it does. It does. You just eloquently just described that whole process. And, and you've, yes. you've got a, is, is it a course you've got or a, a tuition video on lead magnets as well, haven't you? I've got, I've got things on everything. I've got my lead magnet checklist. I've got an email funnel template. I've made all the things that I wish I'd had. When I started and when I worked at Ogilvy, I made all these decks, how to, a press release deck, a social media deck, a, you know, a, a white paper deck, an annual report deck so that I wouldn't have to do the same thing again and again, you know, paint by numbers. And they make even the most sort of numpty people be able to do a fairly good job. Will it be as good as an expert? No, but most of us don't need it to be. If you're an accountant in Ipswich, you only need to be better than the other accountants in Ipswich. You don't need to be the best accountant in the world. You only need X amount of customers a month. You don't need 300,000 customers. Do you know what I mean? And I think this is the thing. People think they're competing with everybody. You're not. You're competing with the three people who are sitting near you on Google. Or the, you know, that's it, you know, and I think, Therefore, a lot of what we're talking about doesn't need to be bleeding edge, cutting edge, Twitter level SEO and copywriting tips. It just needs to be better than what your, your mates are doing, you mm. know? So, yeah. Well, that, that, that leads me into my next question is, is, is who this was for. So your, your course isn't for the Neil Patels of this world to, to, to find out how he should be doing SEO. And, and, and he said some things I disagree with. Um, but so who is your, your course actually aimed at? The SEO one is really aimed, it takes you, I would say, from a beginner to a mid-level 
SEO level, right? So you could, you know, by the end of it, you'll be able to technically audit your site using tools, obviously, you know, I recommend tools, free ones or whatever. And, and maybe you won't be able to do all the fixes, but you'll understand whether the fixes have been done or not. So you'll be able to confidently brief a developer or fix some of the things yourself. You'll be able to research keywords, you'll be able to write SEO copy, you'll be able to build backlinks, and you'll be able to monitor your results and understand the right metrics, as well as setting up Google Analytics, Google Web Search Console, things like that, Google My Business or Google Business. So it takes you to a mid-level and then, you know, some people get to the end of the course and go, great, I get it. I feel empowered enough now to hire an SEO agency and a, or a web developer or a copywriter, and I'll understand what they're doing and what I'm paying for, and I'll understand if they're doing a good job. Other people don't have, will never have the budget to hire someone like you, ever. So they can then confidently do a good job of their SEO. And as I said, you know, we have had big brands come on the course. We've had banks and, and you know, big charities and whatever, and that's usually the in-house person maybe wanting to do a bit of affirmation that they're doing the right thing, maybe wanting to be able to talk to someone like me directly and go, is this the right thing? I go, yeah. And they go, great. I can go back to my boss and not feel like a fool. So it's a mix, but no, it's, it wouldn't be suited to someone like you who's already a successful SEO doing the do. It's not teaching the super advanced stuff because as I said, I think most sites, you know, don't need to be doing AMP. I mean, AMP's obsolete now. Do you know what I mean? They don't need to know the ins and outs of international SEO because they're not serving an international market. So it takes you to a mid-level SEO level is what I'd say. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned AMP, actually, because that, obviously on your podcast, we talked about what's going to be the next big thing or what's coming in. And I remember being at a conference, um, I can't put the year on it, it was several years ago, where AMP was the big thing. And everybody oh, yeah. was talking about AMP. And it's for people like you that are putting courses together, these are the things you then have to cover and then have to actually, well, no, that never really materialized into anything. We've got to get rid of it. So it's constant work for you to, to update stuff. But it is interesting how Google does this, which, which keeps us on our toes. The fact that, <laughs> that Google is ruthless, absolutely mm. ruthless. It launches a lot of things. It puts a lot of emphasis into it, a lot of money into it. And as soon as they realize well, that's not as popular as we hoped it would be, they kill it. They absolutely kill it. They did it with AMP. They did it with uh, Google Plus that you mentioned before, which was billed at the time as being the next Facebook. Dead, absolutely dead. And there's still SEO they all the, experts. They do it all the time. Do you remember when they, they made the length of meta descriptions, like 230 characters for like six months and everyone changed them? I changed mine. And then they just changed it back again. And this is why I, you know, we were talking about things that are coming i never get too attached it's like we're going to be geeky now but like wordpress maybe has a new update you never update it when wordpress first launches that you no. wait a bit until it's 6.1.2 version right when they've ironed out a few of the kinks and so i think you know i would i i've accepted my role in the seo ecosystem that i am not a pioneer i am not an innovator i am not looking at patents and trying to foresee the future and a b testing every single thing. I'm a waiter and a watcher and I wait until something's pretty solid and then I explain it to the normal people. And that's my job. And I used to feel weird about that. I used to feel bad that I wasn't on Twitter sharing my latest research and taking the arrows that would come my way. But it's not, I'm not interested in that. I love translating the gobbledygook. I love seeing, you know, someone who's a florist who spends two hours on a weeks uh, on a week on our marketing get results? That's my role, I think. And we've all got a different parts to play, haven't we? We well, we we have we have. And it, <laughs> you know, again, what what you said there that, that that really resonated with me about not being on Twitter talking about the latest stuff because um, there's obviously SEOs out there that are pioneering, that are investigating and, and, and trying to find out what works. And they're the ones publishing all the studies and doing all the reports. And they're the ones everybody goes, oh, what's he said this week or what she said now? And they're the ones that talk at the conferences. Now, I would love to do a talk at a digital marketing conference. I would love to do that. But I've developed my speaking style over the years to talk to people who don't know about SEO in a simple way that they can understand it. And I don't use long technical terms. I explain it very, very simply. And that's not going to wash at a, an no. SEO conference because they don't want to hear that. But you've no. done a lot of speaking. 
how have you married the two together? Yeah, so it's such a great question. So, you know, I want to be the only SEO in the room because that's where I'm going to get my clients, right? So are you speaking to to get peer respect or are you speaking to make money? And I'm speaking to make money. So I'll speak, I just spoke at the kitchen and bathroom design conference. You know, I'll speak at a, you know, a hairdressers conference, a mum's conference, because I want to be the only SEO in the room. I would never probably get expect, accepted to speak at something like Brighton SEO or Chiang Mai SEO or anything like that, because I don't have anything new to say I'm using the old methodologies. I have spoken about SEO copywriting because that's the only thing where I do experiment a little bit and I'm very on top of all the algorithm updates and the natural linguistic programming. So I feel like, and I feel like a lot of geeky techie SEOs don't do neglect the copywriting side. So I feel like I can bring that. But again, I'm just regurgitating what other people have said, you know, the Dawn Andersons and the, you know, the, the, the people of the world who are talking about these topics. I've read their stuff and I'm turning it into content and reading lots of different pieces, but I'm not bleeding edge. So I think it's about, do you want to talk for your peers or do you want to talk for your customers? And it was a hard thing for me to get that I actually want to talk to my customers. I would love to speak at some of these sexy conferences, but I would feel a charlatan. And I don't want to feel like that. So I'm, I don't do it. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I, 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 would, love to, I would love to do it. But you're right. I, I, don't, I don't get involved in that world. I don't, no. I don't really have an interest in doing that. I don't want to do experimentation. And yeah, I would feel a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're fun to go to. They're fun to go oh, to. Yeah, because yeah, you learn. And I think you can speak at digital marketing conferences because someone's talking about Instagram, someone's talking about LinkedIn, someone's talking about emails and CRM, and you're the SEO person. And yeah, there may be some SEO, and I've had this happen to me. There's SEOs in the room going, well, actually, I don't agree. And I'm like, good for you. This is my lived experience. This is my opinion. You have yours. Good on you, mate. Next time you can come and present. So, you you know, that's the fear, isn't it? That someone's going to call you out and go, hey, Darren, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, well, this is my experience. And, and no one can question my experience of this universe. So, I often, so I'm happy to speak at digital marketing conferences, but a pure SEO one, I'm not sure I would bring value to the audience because they probably know as much as me. And the thing is as well, the collective knowledge of the audience is always going to be more than your own. You know, there's 200 people there together. They know way more than you. And that's intimidating. And, that, you know, I do believe that good things happen outside of your comfort zone, but some really good stuff happens in your comfort zone as well. So I'm going to stick there. <laughs> that's, that's not the usual inspirational message, is it? Stay in your comfort zone. No. That's where you want to be. And that's where the magic happens. Go outside your comfort zone and people call you out. Get back in there. Well, I think, though, you know, stay in your comfort zone where you're really good at things, where you, you serve customers, you make people happy, you make money, you enjoy your day, or put yourself through the ringer trying to speak at an SEO conference where you think everyone's going to pull you down. I mean, sure, do it once. I've done it. I've done it and it's been fine. But is it something I regularly want to do? And does it make me money? No. So unless I'm doing it because I want to jolly, because I want to meet some cool people, that's still a valid reason or for my ego, still a valid reason. But I, you know, I'm in my business to make money, to spend time in my real life. Uh, that's why I do what I do. You know, I'm not just here to live in a little SEO bubble. You know, I want to I want to do what I do so that I can actually, you know, go kayaking. That's, <laughs> you know. Or, or as some people say, do that talk at the big SEO conference for the Insta. It's worth it for yeah. the Insta. Yeah, because you yeah. stick it on the And it does work. I mean, you know, it does give your agency an edge. You know, you've spoken at this as featured in blah, blah, blue, blue. You know, I could be writing articles for SEM Rush and, and Hrefs. I'm sure they would accept them. They would take me an awful long time and I could write those for my own site and make myself money. I don't know. So it's there's always a degree of profile raising and you have to balance that out with, you know, making money. I think it's a hard one. It, it kind of goes back to the whole reason to do SEO in the first place. The do ego. You, do you back want, to the yeah, ego. Are, are you doing this because you want to rank on the first page of Google just to tell your friends that you do? Or do you want to actually get leads and sales? Oh, you, you bought it full circle, Darren. Beautiful. SEO and the ego. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> if I had questions written down, that never would have happened. We never would have had that perfect. No, it was 
it, yeah, it's a perfect circle. I think you're right. It's 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 always understanding, and I'm not going to get old Simon Sinek on you, but it's understanding your why. And if your why is that, that you want to do, I've read that one. yes, me too. I've read a bit of it. I've read the back cover. Um, if you do want to do it for ego, at least be honest about that. At least be honest about that and know that so that when you have that hollow feeling afterwards, which we all get when we try and do something to please our ego and we realize we never can, then at least you're aware of it. But don't do it thinking this conference is going to change my business life because it won't. You know, it'll make you feel good for the day. You'll meet some other SEO bods and then you'll go home and you'll have to do work to make up for the time that you took off writing the presentation, traveling to the thing, you know? So yeah. And you don't get paid most of the time. So, you know, it's, it's be, be clear about your why. And then I think it's doable. No, that's a good point. Yeah. You, you don't get paid for, for the vast majority of them. And there are some that want you to pay. To speak. Oh, I know. Which is just like ick. But you do get paid if you are the only SEO in the room. You do get paid if you're speaking at, you know, the hairdressing conference or the kitchen conference because you are an expert and they're paying for your expert advice. So it's a whole different, you know, proposition, really. And uh, again, it's just about accepting. Part of me would love to be a cutting edge SEO person arguing with people on Twitter about, you know, nodes or whatever, but I'm not. So, you know, you've got to be who you are, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah, I I, I do love to argue on Twitter. Um, So... (laughs) I've got to ask from a personally greedy perspective. Uh, so, so like a hairdressing conference and a, what was the other one, a kitchen and bathrooms conference. How do you yeah. get into those? I think if that is profile raising. So that is the Insta thing. So, you know, I I have my podcast. I, I, I do a lot of that. People listen to that. I, go, I guest on a lot of other people's podcasts as well. So I get in front of audiences that aren't my own. Um, I guest blog in publications that aren't pure SEO. So I kind of eschew the whole SEO world and I try and do a lot of talking to non, to my audience. You know, I do a lot of faith. I go where they are. So maybe I'm not on LinkedIn so much. Maybe I'm more on Facebook. Maybe I'm more on Instagram. If everyone else is zigging, you need to zag. Mm. So I think you just build up a, and it's, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I've had, you know, I think, over 10,000 people pass through my courses at one time or another. That's a lot of people. And the word just gets about. And then I have a speaker page. I have a show reel. I have a media kit. And I look for opportunities. You know, there's always, if you just Google conferences in, you know, Azerbaijan, they'll come up and you just put them in your diary and apply. Most of the people just don't bother applying. I run my own conference here in Australia. I run a digital marketing conference. And you think I'd be, and I pay, I pay my speakers and give them hotel rooms and gifts. I'm very nice. But you'd think I'd be inundated with people wanting to speak, but most people just talk themselves out of it and don't apply. And so it's, you know, you're begging people to come and talk because <laughs> you want good people. So apply, I think, is the main thing. And, you know, accept that you won't get accepted to everything, but after a time you will. And, you know, the speaker fee thing is hard. I've got a speaker fee calculator. I'm happy to give it to you, you know, and I weigh it up against how many people are in the room, how much travel is covered, how much accommodation is covered. And you win some, you lose some, you know, sometimes I've been paid five grand for 45 minutes. The other times I've been paid nothing, you know, but then two years later, someone says, I bought your course because I saw you at that conference. So the ROI is there eventually. Yeah, it's something I, I I need to get more involved in because I, I I will talk at the drop of a hat and I'm I'm doing a um a keynote on digital marketing for property investors in a couple of there weeks, you go. which which I yeah. haven't put together yet and it's a room full of property investors. Uh, little little plug there, property investors. I can do stuff on that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it, it's for for SEOs and there are so many SEOs that are introverted nerdy types where the idea of standing on a stage and talking would be their absolute hell it is something that is massive for your profile and, and potentially massive for your, your your business and you have to kind of get over that one year I spoke I'm you know I'm not an extrovert in it by any means and you know I used to be really really chubby as well <laughs> not that that makes a difference but if you don't feel good about your physical appearance as well that was hard but I forced myself one year I did 37 events in one year and that was everything from free little talks to local people eight people to big conferences to everything I fell over on stage at a conference and didn't get my hands down and hit my face on the stage 
Like, and then I had to present for 40 minutes with a big red welt. I've been heckled. I've been called out for not knowing stuff. Do you know what I mean? I fluffed. I've forgotten what I was supposed to say. And just everything bad that could have happened, happened. Now I don't give a crap. Um, and also, you know, if you talk, if you say to yourself, what could I talk about confident just for half an hour without stopping? What can I talk about? That's probably your keynote. And you only need two or three of those. That presentation you're doing for the property investors, I just did one for mortgage brokers. Was it that different to the kitchen people? A bit. I tweaked a bit, but it's the same principles. So you, you develop your keynotes, a couple of ones that you can do regularly, put them on your site, and then just start telling people about it. And, you know, now it's funny because I've gone the other way. Like I actually don't want to do as much speaking because I don't really want to go away from home. I've got a teenage son. I want to hang out with him. I think it will come back a bit in later life when I'm in you know, my early 50s. I might start again. But for now, I want to stay at home. I think COVID changed me. I'm just a bit of a homebody now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's understandable. Um, so yeah. if you're not looking to do more, more speaking work uh, in the foreseeable future, um, the stuff that you are looking to do, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, to work with you, uh, to say sign up for courses, maybe watch you online, see how they can improve their, their, their digital presence, what's the best way for people to do that? Well, if you Google Kate Toon, I'm really hoping... I rank fairly well for that. Otherwise, I would be a complete fool. So katetoon.com is my website, my core website. And from there, you can jump off into my copywriting stuff, my SEO stuff, my digital marketing stuff. And yeah, these days I don't have clients, but I do have lots of different like memberships, resources, courses, podcasts, events, lots of stuff, different ways to learn. Um, yeah, and I just want to keep building that little ecosystem, to be honest, and making it more and more streamlined and easier for people to get in and enjoy and and that's yeah keep on keeping on is is my uh you know mantra at the moment just improving what i've got rather than making anything new excellent thank you very much for for joining me today it's been it's been amazing even though for me i had to get up at four this morning i'm so sorry i know you forced me to do that uh, <laughs> four this morning because you are in australia and I am in the UK, but you know, here we are. This is the world we live here in. Here we are. And it's been beautiful. And I've loved it. Thank you so much for the having me. The sun is still not up here. Oh, Darren. But just think. Oh, think how on. much work you can do. I tell, a lie. I tell a lie. It has risen. It has risen now. Yes. So, yes. Thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Um, anybody wants to get in touch with Kate, then Google Kate Toon and you will be able to find her and, and, and stalk her in, in any way that you, you want to. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh.